Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Before you hit fast forward to go through the intro, I know I'm guilty too. This is a really different interview that we have today. Um, And this is actually an interview where I was interviewed on another podcast and I reached out to the host and said, hey, would it be okay if I shared my interview on my podcast to share this valuable information and also to introduce people to your podcast? So that's what we have today for you. It is the week of Christmas. If you're listening to this live the day it comes out, it is two days before Christmas. And so we thought we would do this special episode for the holiday week. And this episode was originally aired on the Spirit of 608 podcast. I don't know if you know Lorraine Sanders and Spirit of 608, but she runs a really kick-ass business that helps fashion designers become more uh, sustainable, integrate with technology, all sorts of awesome stuff she does with her brand and her business. She has a phenomenal podcast that you should check out. We'll link to all of her resources in the show notes. But what we have for you today here is an interview that I did on her show talking about freelancing in the fashion industry. Now, a quick heads up before we play this interview is that uh, I have a freelance program that's coming up in January of 2020. Oh my gosh, it feels weird to say that, 2020. Uh, but... Uh, I want to share that with you. And if you are trying to kickstart or grow your freelance career for the 2020 year, if that is one of your goals, I would love to share the details about that program with you and see if it's a good match. You can get on the wait list and hear about all the details when it opens by going to soheidi.com slash freelance. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash freelance. Again, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. And when you sign up for that, I will also send you a free copy of my ultimate guide to being a freelance fashion designer, which is going to walk you through step-by-step how to kickstart or build your freelance career, whether you're trying to get your first or next client. There are so many great insights in here. Um, And it is honestly, not to brag, but something that a ton of people who have used this guide uh, have told me this is like really the only resource out there in the industry or in the internet and maybe at all about freelancing and fashion. Um, for some reason, it's not something there's a lot of tools on, you know, there's all sorts of things on graphic designers and web designers and all these other creative industries, but fashion doesn't really have anything. So I put this together and I would love to get it to you as well as share the details of my program when that opens. If you're listening after January, 2020, you can still sign up and get that guide. And I will definitely keep you in the loop. The next time the program opens. So again, that's soheidi.com slash freelance, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash freelance. And now let's hit play on the interview where Lorraine Sanders from Spirit of 608 interviews me on my best freelancing strategies and tips for the fashion industry. Heidi, welcome to the Spirit of 608 podcast. Thanks so much, Lorraine. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. And can we start out by you telling us where you are in the world? Like, where are we speaking to you from? I am uh, sitting in my podcast recording studio in Denver, Colorado. So cool. You know, it's not often that I get to have other podcasters on the show. And so it's really fun to be able to bring someone on that not only knows all about this fast fashion space that we talk about on the Spirit of 608, but also understands the entire podcast thing and how awesome it is to communicate with people like this because I'm just like a huge fan of the medium and I'm assuming you are too. Yes, very much. How long have you been podcasting? So actually not too long, not quite a year now. And it's one of those things that I love it so much. My audience loves it so much. I'm sure you have a very similar thing. And I I always feel like, which I feel like with anything that I really kind of dive into, I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner? (laughs) 
Yeah, I definitely had that thought as well. I feel like there's something just really special about connecting with people this way. Yeah. So I've told listeners a little bit about your background and your business in the introduction to the show, but I'd obviously love to hear what you do in your own words and let them hear what you do in your own words. So you and I have never met in person before. Say we met somewhere, was like a networking event or a social event, and I walked up to you. What would you tell me that you did if I had like no idea who you were? How would you get me up to speed quickly? Yeah. So my really quick sort of one line elevator pitch is I work as a contract fashion designer and I also run an industry podcast that helps support other designers get ahead in this cutthroat industry. Oh my God. Really packaged up tight. (laughs) I like that. God, that is good. You know, I have like a really hard time doing that. (laughs) I like want to write that down and like use it as a blueprint or something. Well, if it's any consolation, I'm kind of constantly tweaking it and it did not happen overnight. So, (laughs) well, so talking about how you message things and present yourself, I mean, I feel like, you know, what you just told us is a very, like you said, it's very compact. And there are so many different things that you do. And when I was trying to prepare for this conversation and do some research into all the work you've done and what your path has been, I got hooked by a recent blog post series that you did on your site. And I feel like a lot of what came out of this and what's in it, and we'll put links to this in the show notes for the show. If anybody listening wants to check it out, you can also obviously find it on Heidi's website. But I got so hooked and I was thinking maybe we could start off by talking a little bit about what you wrote and why you did it and why now. Because I think it encapsulates a lot of the things that you currently do in your business. Yeah, it was a really interesting and sort of emotional journey that I went through recently. It was all really healthy and good. There were some roller coasters in terms of kind of reliving my journey in the fashion industry, what I've gone through. But it was really from the reason I did it was to look back and get a real perspective of like, why am I doing what I'm doing today? How did I get here? And why, why did I choose this path? And that was ultimately to the path of being a contract or freelance, you know, those words you can kind of use interchangeably, fashion designer, as opposed to launching my own label, which I did give a good hand at, or working in the corporate fashion world. Uh, Corporate, not necessarily meaning a big corporation, but just working as an employee. So those were kind of the two things that I went through first and then ultimately wound up doing freelance and contract design. And then that kind of grew organically into me, you know, building an audience and a community and, and working with and helping other designers do things in that similar vein. So I can go through each of those stories a little more in detail if that's kind of what you want to dive into. Yeah. And, you know, I guess before we get there, I mean, I just want to say for listeners that you're saying you kind of went to this and went to this and went to this, but it's not like you just like flitted from one thing to the other. I mean, I was reading (laughs) these posts and like you like spent years in the industry before getting to where you are today. And yeah, I mean, if you could talk us through a little bit, like what the four things, I think it's four that you kind of hit on were, I think that would just be useful because I don't know, I'm in this phase right now where I've gotten really frustrated with the fact that I think there's just a lot of fluff around entrepreneurship and how like easy it is. And I really don't want to be a part of hyping up something that's this kind of flimsy dream. And I felt like when I read your post, I was like, wow, you're putting it out there. You put out numbers, you put out screenshots of emails. Like It was just very real. And I felt like, okay, this is what more people should be doing. So what were those key things you were trying to get across to people? Yeah. Well, thanks for that. I won't lie. There was moments I was like going through some of this stuff. And just like I said, looking back and I dug out old CDs to find pictures of stuff I'd done. And there was moments where I was like, felt like I was going to throw up kind of reliving some of these things. But I got a lot of feedback from my audience as well from this content that it was refreshing because I did, I did, I put it out there. Like I did, I talked about money and finances and and it made me really uncomfortable but then at the end of the day I was like wow people really want to talk about this stuff and it feels uncomfortable because no one is talking about it so to kind of dive in initially you know I got started in the industry really by my own doing I studied graphic design and I always wanted to do fashion but it just seems like one of those unattainable hollywood dreams like you're never going to be a hollywood actress like is that even a real type of job to go after. So I studied graphics, but I 
I just loved design. And so I started sewing and I started making stuff in my basement. Like my then boyfriend, you know, helped create a little studio for me in the basement, um, now husband. And I started sewing a ton of stuff and I had no idea what I was doing. My designs were terrible. They were so bad. And there's pictures of them in the blog post. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to show this stuff because I really look back on it and I think you have to start somewhere. And even as I went through that journey and looked at like the stuff that I designed over the first couple years, I could see the progression happening in terms of like, oh, wow, each collection got a little better, got more cohesive. So I started designing. While I was doing that, I was stuck in this like super depressing for me, what felt like a dead end job as a receptionist. I had graduated college with honors and I somehow landed this like admin job. I was super unhappy. I was like answering phones and filing papers. So on the side, like on the nights and weekends, I was sewing clothes and I was starting to figure out like, how do I do this? And I started applying for like fashion, not even fashion markets, like farmer's markets to have a booth, you know, and I schlepped my stuff and I tried to sell it and stuff didn't really sell. And it was you know, there was so many painful failures during that time in my life. And this is back around like 2004-ish. So, you know, I kept at it because I wanted something so badly. And I think it was the sheer sort of depression that I was getting from my day job as a receptionist that kind of kept me going. I was like, I have to do something creative on the side. I have to do something that I really care about. I'm not meant to just file papers and answer phones. I just can't do that. And so you know, I kept going and finally kind of found a little bit of my groove, finding the right markets to sort of have, have a booth at and doing some fashion shows within the local fashion community. And this is all happening in Denver. So I wasn't, you know, in a big fashion hub by any means. I grew it to, you know, I took it kind of from there from doing markets to, I did a couple like real trade shows. I took it on the road. And I say we, my husband was there with me every step of the way, major cheerleader support. Awesome. That's another thing I also think if you don't have the support, you got to get out there and find it because I don't think I could have done a lot of this if I didn't have the support of him and my family. And so I took it to some trade shows. And at the end of the day, it was like my third or fourth year in business. And I was this like young 20 something. I had no fashion experience, no business experience. And I, I grossed about 40,000 at my peak year of that business, which was not a bad number. Honestly, I was selling re I was selling wholesale. I was in about 50 stores. And when I really looked back on it, only like 8,000 of that was actually profit. The rest of the money like went back into the trade show booths, went back into inventory. And I started to realize that like, God, this is so much work. None of this is really profit. In the meantime, in the background, you know, there's a lot of things happening at the same time. Um, I quit my day job as a receptionist. Like once I kind of got a little bit of momentum with at then my side business, which then turned into my full-time job, I quit my day job and I went at it full-time. You know, I had no overhead. I had no kids. It was just my boy, then boyfriend and I just living off of like, you know, nothing. So I had the opportunity to take that risk. In the meantime, I got this dream job offer and it was to be like an actual fashion designer at a company as an employee. So how that dream job landed in my lap was very, I don't know if coincidental is the right word, but it just happened that when I, about a year ago, when I was still sitting at that receptionist job, I, I went on one of those job application vendors where you just dig through Craigslist or dig through, you know, monster.com or whatever the website is. And you just apply to like every job possible because you're so cranky about where you're currently at. And so I sent out a bunch of applications and like nothing ever really went anywhere. So that's fine. I had forgotten about that. But one of the companies had kept my resume on file and they called me up and they said, Hey, we're a local company here in Denver. I was a lifestyle brand and they needed someone that was really strong in graphics and also had, you know, a little bit of a fashion eye. So, you know, I really got the job because of my base computer skills, because I had been doing my own collection on the side and I had just, I had built a little something, you know, this tiny little business. And I had shown that I had an eye for design and it was really driven and hardworking. And so that kind of fell in my lap. I took it. I was just like over the moon giddy. I mean, I was, you know, here I was, I had no real work experience other than being a receptionist. And I got this job and I was just like, oh my God, this is literally my fantasy from when I was a little girl, like working as a fashion designer. I mean, like my eyes were just like opened up wide. I was like glowing. You know, I, I thought I had made it in the world. Um, 
So I kept my fashion brand alive for a little bit into that. Side note that I'll throw out there. <laughs> this was one that was really hard for me to talk about, but my fashion brand was called Funklectic. And it was, it was a very, the stuff that I made had, you know, some fun character to it. And I was always trying to be really funky and different and eclectic. So I did a word sandwich of funky and eclectic. So that was my brand, which in hindsight was terrible. And um, people called it Funkadelic, which just like made me cringe. <laughs> I hated that so much. It made me crazy. So, you know, that's one of those things I look back, I'm like, oh, face palm, like what the heck? Anyhow, so I kept Funkalectic running on the side while I was working full time as a designer. And, you know, that was its own bag of anxiety and pressure and a lot of promises that never came true. You know, when I first got hired, they negotiated my salary down pretty low. I think it was like 22000 a year. And so this is in like, what, like 2007. But I was kind of like, you know, whatever. This is my opportunity to like have a job in this industry and really do it. And I negotiated that with like six months of good performance that I would get, a, I think, a $3,000 raise. You know, of course, that raise never came. It was definitely one of those stereotypical fashion jobs where, you know, you're overworked, underpaid, underappreciated, you know, nobody ever says thank you. And I shouldn't say that globally. There was, I had some coworkers and, and a couple of people that were great within that company. And then there's always the people that aren't so great. But, you know, that kind of turned into just this thing where I was like, what am I doing again? This is horrible. I'm working way too many hours. I'm barely sustaining my fashion brand, Funklectic. The economy crashed in 2008. I kept Funklectic barely alive. I kept fulfilling orders. I didn't do any, any additional marketing or anything. I finally dissolved that brand because I, I realized I just didn't have... I personally didn't have the endurance or really the desire to run a company that had such high overhead where I'm like, I can make $40,000 and oh wait, like hardly any of that is profit. And even looking at my numbers, 8,000 profit was actually a really, really good percentage in the fashion industry. So I realized quickly, I didn't want to do that like full-time or really take it to the next level. And then here I was working in this job and just, I wasn't in control of anything and I've realized since then, you know, in, in the many years since then that like, I'm a little bit of a control freak. I think like a lot of entrepreneurs are, we want to be in control of our own destiny. So I kept going at that job, even though it was pretty abusive and I, I never got any of the raises I was promised. And I was, you know, working for arguably a very low rate until a little bit after the economy crashed. And I just said, you know, I can't do this. Like I am not meant to work for somebody else. And so I just quit. And it was, it was me and my, my boss at the time who was awesome. My like direct report boss, she was great. And she really taught me everything I knew in the industry, you know, cause I didn't, I knew, you know, I had a design eye and I knew the computer stuff, but I didn't know, you know, what a lab dip was or what a prototype was or how to put together a tech pack. Like I didn't know all the stuff about actually manufacturing product overseas and really going into production and all that. And she was, was and still is a great mentor for me. So she and I kind of like quit together and we're like, let's just go do design on our own. Like, let's just go be like a two person freelance team. We can do this. And so we literally just quit. And that first year was brutal. I did not make a dollar. You know, luckily my partner, boyfriend at the time, husband now, um, Mark, I'll just say his name. That'll be a lot easier. <laughs> you know, was very supportive during that first year. Um, and we went out and, you know, tried to do all the quote unquote networking and like, how do you get work type of stuff? And it was rough, but then pretty quickly after that things changed and we got our footing and I quickly like surpassed my previous $22,000 salary as a freelancer, which was great. And then grew it to like make upwards of six figures doing freelancer contract design work. And in the meantime, there was a lot of other things going on too, in terms of, of running. I have a YouTube channel that helps educate various aspects of working in the fashion industry. So also doing that, but really focusing on like the freelance and my career as a fashion designer. That's really how it grew. And it just got to the point that I was like, this is it. This is it. This is the perfect balance for me. This is the perfect happy medium. I still get to work as a designer. I get to the point now, you know, this took time to build, but like where 
I get to choose what projects to say yes or no to. I can do my work from anywhere and travel and do it on the road. And like, sometimes I work on a Saturday or sometimes I work while I'm on vacation in Mexico, but like, that's okay to me. And, you know, that's definitely a trade-off that I think people have to think about in terms of diving into the freelance space. But for me, it's, it's the, the, the most perfect, happy balance of control of your life, whether that be for finances, for the actual work you do, for how you spend your time, and still getting to work in design. I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's not as enticing as launching your own label. And, and if that's your dream, I support that dream. But I think it's fair to also talk about what that really means in terms of logistics, the timeline and the finances to really do it. Because like I said, for me, I realized this is not something I can do. I cannot have a business that is the numbers just to me don't make sense. So well, it's like, is it a dream to have your title in this thing that, you know, the outward world perceives you as, or is the dream to have a lifestyle that you really love living? I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I feel this too about what I do. And I hear it from a lot of people that truly seem they're kind of in the right space. Like they don't mind getting on the computer when they're traveling because it's like part of just their entire lifestyle to, to be running this business or to be doing the work that they're doing. And it's more about how it all stacks up and gives them the life that they want and not so much this idea of a profession that they had in their head. I mean, it sounds like you've really found your groove. I have very much found my groove. And you made an co interesting comment there at the, at the beginning of sort of the outward portrayal of, of what it is that you're doing. And I think that that's where a lot of people get jaded in terms of like, you see these fashion brands on Instagram, they've got 100,000 followers and all the pictures look beautiful and la la la. It's like this beautiful fantasy, but nobody's really talking about what's actually going on behind the scenes. Like how much money are they making? And I don't want to make it all about money. At the end of the day, we do need money to live. Yes. But not only that, like the other thing that happened to me that I realized that I hated and I, I didn't mention this at all. So I'm glad you brought this up was my fashion brand turned into a business that I actually hated running because what happened was at the end of the day, I wasn't even designing anymore. I was schlepping product. I was doing sales. I was doing inventory. I was managed dealing with customer service issues and chargebacks. And the other thing that happened was the product that I cared the least about that I, I didn't like the most was what sold really well. And that happens a lot of times if anyone out there listening is kind of familiar with the general structure of a brand, you've got your sort of, you could call them a lot of things, your runway pieces, the pieces that you're really excited about making. And then you have your core pieces, like your essentials. And sometimes those are what are the best sellers. And that's what you just keep pushing every, every season or, or however your business is set up because that's what sells. And that's where you really make your bread and butter money. But that's often not the product that you as the designer are the most excited about. And so for me, that was another thing. I was just like, boy, this has just turned into, I'm just managing product. And I'm now having to pump out product that I'm not even that excited about as a designer. Like this is not what I signed up for. So, you know, the outwards portrayal can be whatever you, whatever picture that business or that person or that company wants to paint. But sometimes I think what's going on behind the scenes is, a whole different picture. And, um, you know, when I sent that story out to my audience, the replies in my inbox were through the roof. And so many people had said they had been through the same thing and that they had felt the same way about their business. You know, they started it with this dream. And again, I don't want to like discount or like be a dream squasher for anybody, <laughs> which was something I was really nervous about putting this out there. I was like, I am a dream crusher right now. I'm being that total dream crusher jerk. But that is something that can happen is it at the end of the day, you're still like running this business and sometimes it's not as glamorous as it can be painted from the outside. I get why the dream crusher concern, but I don't see it as that because I really, in listening to you and looking at what you're doing, it seems to me like you went through these experiences, which were, I mean, and you have a very self-deprecating way of describing them in your posts. I mean, you have like this really funny picture of you. Like you're like, I was standing outside of your you know, office looking all cool, like you're a fashion designer. <laughs> so, but you're, you're like really, it's very like cute how you do it. But you went through some hard stuff and it's not easy when... And I mean, I've been in these situations as well. I'm not a designer, but like I actually was a receptionist too at a dead-end job at one mm -hmm. point and you know, have worked for people that it just looked like one thing when you went in and then you realized yeah. it wasn't and you couldn't get out of it. 
and it's hard. And like, I think what you're doing, you're not crushing dreams. You're bringing people some real information, (laughs) trying to educate them. And I feel like there's a lot of entrepreneurs and people that want to own businesses today that, you know, they didn't have a traditional business education. And it's hard to get that, especially as you're sort of moving later into your career and on with your life. And, you know, it's great when people put out real information that helps other people figure out how to get to where they want to go without maybe making some of the left and right turns that many of us have made. So I'm curious, you have a lot of these things going on. So you're able to still freelance and do design work. And you have your YouTube channel and your website and various trainings that you offer people. Can you walk us through kind of how you divide up your time these days and what your business is kind of made of today so that we know how people listening can interact with you if they want to in the future? Sure. Well, as far as like really having a clear structure of how I divide up my time, it's a hot mess. So I won't even really go into that. It's like every day, like I I don't do any of the typical like time blocking or sort of wake up in the morning and set my schedule. Like I don't do any of that stuff. And it's, I don't know, I don't know what I do works for me or I just haven't figured out a real system in terms of managing the time is how I divide into each of those things. But yeah, so I, I do still, I would say it's probably split 50-50 depending on the week and depending on the month. But yeah, so I do my freelance and contract design. So that's pretty self-explanatory. I work with brands to do everything from initial concept through tech packs, through sourcing, through managing the whole production process of the product with factories overseas. So that's kind of that portion of it. And then the other half is the successful fashion designer business, which started out as YouTube videos on how to use Adobe Illustrator specific to fashion. And that kind of organically took off because it was a really small niche market that nobody was filling. There's a lot of content out there for graphic design in general, but fashion designers have a very specific use and it's hard to apply those tutorials to our industry, the graphic design tutorials. So that's how that all started. And then it kind of it grew from there into, I started doing in-person workshops and then that grew into online workshops and sort of online courses. And so I've got a couple of courses around that. Although I'll, I'll, you know, say like 95% of my content is free. It's all available on YouTube or on my website as video tutorials. And then in the past couple of years, I started expanding that beyond just Adobe Illustrator into some other technical skills as well, things like tech packs and stuff and and things I was starting to learn that people weren't getting in fashion school. So I got the I would start getting these emails and people were telling me these stories that, you know, they just graduated and I'll just say the names from like FIT and FITM and Parsons, like these top fashion schools, and they didn't learn like how to do a tech pack, which is mind-blowingly scary. I mean, it's just, I don't even know. I don't even have a response to that. So that was how, you know, a lot of all that content evolved. And then recently in the past like year or so, I've, I've started talking about and putting out more content and just launched a, a new uh, mastermind and coaching program around being a freelancer in the industry because I realized that it is, you know, like I said, I kind of had this realization that like, wait, this is for me, this is the perfect happy medium of working in the industry, but being in control of my own destiny. And I know a lot of other people out there want that as well. And there's not a lot of resources out there. There's not a lot of people talking about it. So I kind of dove into that. And it's been great. It's been really fun to help people figure out, you know, how do I even set my rates or what do I do when someone lowballs me or how do I even get out there and find the work and what do I put in my portfolio? How do I present myself? You know, there's so many questions and nobody's really talking about it in the fashion industry. I did about 18 months of research before I really put much content out there. I'm a big nerd like that and I like to do my homework. So I literally found like nothing about being a freelance fashion designer. You know, there's a million things about graphics or creative or web development or anything in that sort of sphere. But our industry is a little bit unique. And I started creating content around that. And it's been cool. It's been really cool. Um, I've got some ton of free material and people are using it. You know, I've gotten feedback that, oh, I read your ultimate guide to being a freelance fashion designer. And... I was able to negotiate a better rate with my client. Like people are getting real results and and getting landing new gigs and stuff. And so that's really cool to be able to see people 
take these resources and get one step closer to what is for them this perfect lifestyle. I shouldn't say perfect, nothing's perfect, but this this best happy medium lifestyle of working in fashion and, and having control of your of your life and time. Well, yeah. So on that note, I'd love to get into a little bit of the advice that you have for people because I'm sure many listening, we have a lot of people that are building their own brands and yet are also kind of trying to balance doing that with the need for like a real and more reliable income stream. (laughs) And I know freelancing is not always the most reliable, but it sounds like you have some advice for how to, you know, really have that be a strong and steady sort of support system in your life, whether it's your main gig or your side gig. To start out, do you have any advice for people who are listening and are like, hey, I want to do this. I'm a designer, but I have no idea where to start? Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of different aspects we could talk about and it could take hours. So to give like a quick overview and to highlight some of the key things I would say to focus on that I see a lot of people doing wrong is one focus on a specific category. So whether that's women's active or denim or lingerie or whatever it may be, really figure out like, what are you the best at and focus on that category. I see a lot of designers trying to do everything for everybody. And you look at their website and it's like, they've got handbags and they've got jeans and they've got dresses and they've got bathing suits. And if you're a company, let's say you're a you're a lingerie brand and this designer, okay, this designer may have experience in lingerie, but when I go to the website as a company, I can get very overwhelmed. I'm like, ah, they do all these things. And if they do all these things, do they really know lingerie that well? So first I would say focus on a really specific category. Once you do that, everything else becomes so much easier. Your portfolio becomes a lot easier to manage and to put together. Your outreach becomes a lot easier. You know exactly what type of brand you want to work with. Lingerie companies, let's, we can just use that as the example. And depending on how far you want to go, but you can really start to focus everything that you do on that. Like your Instagram, if that's somewhere that you're hanging out a lot and you are interacting with people like you know, you put that in your your profile bio that you are a freelance lingerie designer. You can update that in your LinkedIn. So getting really specific with your offer is kind of the first thing. The second thing that happens a lot that is like a big, big, big mistake is that when... And this happens both in freelance as well as like, let's say, outreach for jobs. And I, I call it the III syndrome. And so we as people are very good at saying... I have this experience. I know how to do that. I worked here. I did this. I did that. And so what happens a lot of times is when these designers outreach, let's just say whether it's via email or via LinkedIn or however you're doing it, it's very much, here's my portfolio. I have this. I have that. I have that. And to be brutally honest here, like brands sometimes don't care about you. Or like mm-hmm. what, <laughs> like to just be really blunt, they care, how can you help them? What results can you get them? And so it, you kind of have to turn the tables there. And in your outreach to try and get some of this freelance work, you want to talk about the brand more than you talk about yourself. You want to start off with like a really genuine introduction. You want to compliment them, be very specific, like show that you did the research, show that you know their brand, you know what they're working on, you know, follow them on Instagram, do a little research and really make it tailored to them. And then talk about how you can help them do something better. Honestly, you know, some of this outreach, it it shouldn't look like a resume or like a cover letter. It's really like 80% talking about them and then 20% saying, I'm a contractor, freelance designer, and I've helped brands like yours achieve these results. So that would be kind of the next thing. And I have on my site and in the ultimate guide to being a freelance fashion designer, which is an absolutely free resource. And I can give you the link for that for the show notes. I have templates of like example emails of exactly how to word this and why it should be worded certain ways. So that's kind of the next thing. And then the third thing, um, I know you didn't ask me for a number of things, but as I'm kind of talking through this here, I'm like thinking about, okay, what's the best kind of overview in terms of giving people some real actionable advice. The third thing is just be a real person. Like don't be overly robotic, don't be overly salesy. And being a real person and writing some of these emails to go out there and get the work is 
a little bit more effort. It takes time to send a really personalized and a really customized email to each brand. But here's the thing. If you sent out, let's just say you could send out a thousand generic emails to brands where you just copy and paste the same email and your response rate is going to be super, super, super low. You may get like one project out of those thousand emails. Otherwise, you could send out, let's say, 50 emails that are super personalized. You really spent the time. You found the brands that you really love, that you want to do some freelance work for, and you put in the effort to do the research and to really talk to them like a real person. And so when that person reads that email, think about that. Like, There's a real person on the other side of that email, a real person just like you and me. And how many sort of generic sales emails do we get in our inbox for like, oh, try out our new software, our new app or whatever it may be, our new business tool. And I'm like, this is just copy and pasted. Like, I don't care. I Chances are I don't even open it. But if it starts to feel like a real email from a real person, I tell people a lot, like when you're writing these emails, like pretend you're writing this email to your best friend or to your mom or whoever, someone that's really close to you, that's a really personal email. And just make it a real email so that person on the other side feels like, wow, this person actually wrote a real email to me and it feels like it's a real person. One of my mentors recently made the comment or the line, and I love this. It's so succinct and perfect. And it's just, people aren't robots. Don't treat them like they are. And I think sometimes when we're doing outreach, it's easy to just feel like we're sending it to a robot on the other end of the line. So, so just be real, be genuine. I could not agree with you more. I mean, as you were saying, I was like, sing it, sister, because there's so many instances in life where what you just said is applicable. I mean, freelance fashion design, but you're saying exactly what I say to people all the time about media. And I mean, you actually, you walk the talk or walk the walk or whatever it is. You walk, you do both. (laughs) You emailed me originally to talk about the show. I remember your email and it was, you like had gone and you knew what, fest was and you understood kind of like what my perspective was and like very few people do that and it's like really not that hard to do but like very few people do it and it makes such a huge huge like huge difference just in like making somebody want to respond to you so like as you're talking about this here's a question i have for you because you know i'm obviously an outsider with this entire world but it sounds like outreach is a really big part of this. Whereas I know with some other industries, you know, freelance, you might be finding a lot of calls for contract or part-time work somewhere. But it sounds like with this particular type of work, it's going to take a lot of proactive outreach to secure your new gigs or your, your first gigs. Is that, am I reading that right? Yeah, you're reading it absolutely right. And the reason is, and so this is where our industry gets a little tricky. And I know there's other industries that operate kind of similarly, but if you go to most places and look for freelance gigs listed, you know, whether that's like at a job board or on Craigslist, if we're still living in the early 2000s, but there's this in the fashion industry, freelance has come to mean a temp job. So a lot of times designers will say, I'm a freelancer or brands will say, I'm looking for a freelancer. And what they're actually saying is going on site 40 hours a week, sitting at that company's desk, doing the work. And then in three months it's done and you leave. You're getting paid hourly. You don't get any benefits. And this like infuriates me beyond anything because first of all, at least here in the US, that is technically illegal. I won't go into a legal rant about it, but that's not freelance. That's a temp job. And so anywhere you are going to go to find these quote unquote freelance opportunities that people are actively searching for are not true freelance. And so to be very clear, the type of freelance work I talk about is true freelance, like remote work where you're more in control. You have deadlines and stuff, but you're not set to certain hours or working at a certain location. And so that type of work can be a little bit harder to find. It's not actively advertised anywhere. Sometimes, and I think times are starting to shift now as we're seeing an increase in these smaller independent brands versus these big box retailers. There's a big shift in what the market is made up of in terms of brands right now. And it's a really cool time to be in, I think. And so these 
let's say startup or indie or, or smaller brands that are starting to take over more in the market, they are accessing true freelance talent, meaning, you know, they have a small project or they need someone to work five hours a week remote, just kind of ongoing to help with certain tasks. Okay. So everything we've been talking about is great. It sounds like you're almost speaking to people that are freelance, but they're, they're really like consultants, right? For these brands. They're bringing their design expertise and they're not just coming in as temporary workers. Yeah. And they might, they might not necessarily be consultants because they might be doing you know more production line work, like just sketching stuff in Illustrator, which is absolutely fine and a great opportunity. But yes, they can also be doing more type of like consultancy type of work. Okay. Before we get to the questions that I always ask everybody at the end of the show, and I'm really excited to ask you, any tips or advice for successfully negotiating a great rate? And I know we don't have that much time, but high-level stuff that you tell people that might help them work that out in a better way than they would on their own? Yes. Two things that I believe very, very strongly in is one, that your pricing sends a signal. And so I think what happens a lot in the fashion industry is everybody feels like, oh my gosh, it's so competitive. I have to work for pennies. It's so cheap. And so you price yourself really cheap in terms of freelance. And whether that's project or hourly rate, it doesn't matter. People tend to price themselves really low. And any person that has thought about the psychology behind, you know, sort of pricing, which I think about it all the time and I've done a lot of studying on it. But there is this big psychology behind it that if you look at someone and you're like, oh, you're going to do this for $15 an hour, boy, the brand might look at you and say, God, $15 an hour, like how good could they really be? I mean, I know people who have 15 years industry experience and are really underpricing themselves. And I think that that sends a signal that they're not that great. Whereas, you know, I think there's price gouging, of course, and there's times where you're going to artificially inflate your price. But I think there's this really happy medium where when you actually have a higher price, let's say $50 an hour, 75, or I even know freelancers who, who push 150 an hour and that's just their rate. They come out with that right out of the gate. I charge 150 an hour and they get that and they're busy. That sends a signal that you are really, really, really good. That goes back to what I said earlier about your niche and like picking your category. So if you're lingerie, if you're denim, if you're activewear, whatever it is, be just really stinking good at that category. And then that $150 rate or 75 or whatever it is, is so warranted because you are an expert in that and your pricing sends a signal that you are an expert in that. So first, think about the psychology behind what signal is your price sending. Second, in terms of negotiating it, because sometimes there are brands that just want the cheap price. First of all, they may not be your customer and that's fine. You can walk away from that. If you're just getting started and you really need the job or you really kind of want to just get some experience, then you can decide case by case if you want to do that. That's something that that you need to figure out on your own. I will throw out there, if you're going to feel resentful about the project, do not take it because you're going to feel it. The client's going to feel it. It's going to be a very bad situation for everybody. If you do want to negotiate the rate, let's say you come out with 50 an hour for even numbers and the client comes back and says, you know, we really want to work with you, but that's a little bit out of our budget. Can you do 30 an hour? You can do one of two things. One, you can say, you know what? Let's do this. How about we do a small trial project for the 30 an hour? I'm going to show you how great of work I can do for you. I know I can deliver exactly what you need. Let me do three hours at the 30 an hour. And if you're absolutely happy with what I deliver, we can move to the 50 an hour after that. And this is beautiful because it's a very low risk situation for both parties. You're only going to do three hours of work. They're going to get to pay their 30 an hour. Now it's in the balls in your court to over deliver, like do an exceptional job, like blow your client out of the water. And this works beautifully. I've had a lot of people have great success with this strategy. You do those three hours, they are just thrilled beyond belief. And they're like, you know what? Oh my gosh, happily pay you your 50 an hour. Like we're very happy to do this. Because I think that freelancers in any industry can have a stereotype or reputation for being flaky or not delivering or being late or whatever sort of thing. And so if you could just show them that you're worth that, then they're going to happily pay you. And if they don't, then it might just might not be the client for you. The other thing is you can always kind of meet in the middle. Um, Very old school, traditional negotiating model is they come back with 30, you wanted to get 50 and you say, Hey, you know what? I really love your project. I believe in your brand and I'm, I'm really excited to work on this. That's a little bit tight for my budget. 
how about we we do it at 40 and that way it's happy for everybody. So that's an alternative strategy. Depending on the client and depending on your comfort, you can use either one of those. They both work quite well. Wonderful advice. So to close out the show, I would love to know if you have any tech tools, apps, books, resources, or just a really great low-tech piece of advice that's helped you kick ass in your day-to-day life that you think would help our listeners kick more ass in their day-to-day lives. Yes, super low tech. I don't use a lot of tools and sort of features like that because I just find they get a little bit overwhelming. But one that I live and breathe by is very obvious and I'm I'm sure a lot of you out there already know about it, but I'll throw it out there because it's simple and does magic for scheduling is Calendly. I know you use it, Lorraine. And then second to that is either Streak or Boomerang for Gmail, which really helps sort of manage email scheduling and sending at certain times and doing automatic follow-up and replies. I could not live without either of those tools. Uh, Very non-techy, but very simple and effective to use. Wonderful. So if you had to print a phrase or a motto on a t-shirt and wear it for the next seven days, what would it be? Oh, I love this one. And it would be, don't feed the fears. So it kind of looks like a, a warning sign in the, in the woods if you're camping. It says, don't feed the bears, but don't feed the fears. So fear is something I, I think and talk a lot about because it gets in the way of everything we try to do in life, even if you're not aware of it. So don't feed those fears. I love that. I would wear that. I wish that. <laughs> I would that. I'll buy it right? I know. I, I kind of want to make it too. So I always close out by asking guests if you have a question you'd like to ask me, anything silly or serious, I promise to give you an honest answer. Yeah, I'm going to throw this right back at you because um, like I said, I went through this really intense roller coaster journey of rehashing my entire embarrassing past and the horrible name I had for my fashion company. And I would love to know from you, what's one thing in your journey as an entrepreneur in the fashion sustainable tech space, however you want to phrase it. What's like one super embarrassing thing that you went through that you've never really talked about or told anybody about? Hmm. I don't know if I've never told anybody this. And I don't even know if this is super embarrassing, but I'll guess it's it's something I've never quite been settled about. And it's just come into my head. So I used to run a site called SF Indie Fashion back in the day. And I guess that's kind of like my version of your brand's name cringing because, um, <laughs> like I would, you know, whatever. But I posted something on that site kind of when I was a couple years into it where I went and I got this pair of jeans like fitted to me using a body scanner. And then I posted all these pictures of like what they looked like on my body. And, you know, spoiler, like they looked really bad. <laughs> I mean, it was like, a camel toe situation. (laughs) My stomach's over the top. I mean, the whole point was like, this technology doesn't really work. And I swear to you, it was the highest trafficked post that I had on my site for like years. Wow. And it was so frustrating to me because not, I mean, partially because I looked terrible, but also, I mean, I put that out there. I did it on purpose. So I was kind of okay with that, but because it was like a negative post, you know, Mm. and like, it wasn't, I don't know. I just, I felt like, God, it really sucks that this thing that I did that's getting a lot of attention isn't really something I feel good about at the end of the day, because I don't really like approaching brands like that and really don't anymore. And so I guess that's kind of what comes to mind is that, you know, you go through these things, you put stuff out there, you try to be really honest. And then sometimes it doesn't play the way that you thought it was going to. And I felt like from that, that it just really helped shape how I've done things since then. And it's still, I think, out there in the world today. And we may take the whole site down soon. So you might not be able to find it in a couple of months. But right now, it's still up there. If you ever want to see my pasty white stomach from 2007. So yeah, that's my story. And I'm so glad to have had your story and all of your wonderful advice and to have had you on the show. If people listening want to keep up with you and connect with you online, what's the best way for them to find you? Yes. Everything can be found at SuccessfulFashionDesigner.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much, Lorraine. It was really great to chat with you. Same here. All right. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this special episode of hearing me on another podcast. Um, I got this idea from another podcast I listened to who started replaying her episodes. And I thought that's such a really, really great idea to share these interviews and also to introduce people to other shows. If you like what you heard from Lorraine and myself, check out Lorraine's show, Spirit of 608. Again, linked to all of this in the show notes. She is a kick-ass lady who is helping fashionistas 
do their thing. And I know that you're going to love everything she has to offer. Um, Additionally, if you liked hearing some of these tips and pieces of advice on freelancing in the fashion industry, that was just the tiniest sliver of advice of what you need to know. I know it can feel really overwhelming. You're not sure where to start how to price your projects, how to navigate clients, where to even find clients. It's all really, really tricky. So two things I have for you. One is my program on being a successful fashion freelancer. That's what's called successful fashion freelancer program opens up January, 2020 for the very first time. I spent almost three years beta testing and building and researching this course to make sure that it was absolutely kick ass and that it was everything you needed. And then some for your freelance career. And it is for the first time ever opening up to the entire world and you can have the opportunity to get all the details and learn about that program and see if it's a good fit for you to get on the wait list and be the first to hear about it you can head on over to soheidi.com slash freelance s-e-w-h-e-i-d-i.com slash freelance we will link to that in the show notes once you sign up for that i will also send you my free ultimate guide on being a freelance fashion designer it is a step-by-step book that i wrote absolutely free for you um, to walk you through everything from presenting your portfolio to finding clients to negotiating pricing to managing projects to turning one project into many all sorts of things that you really can't find anywhere else out there in the world so i'd love to share that with you again so slash freelance all right you guys thank you so much for listening um a quick shout out and thank you to my husband mark who does all the tech and the editing behind the scenes to make the show possible as well as my right hand woman tara tara you are amazing uh you guys don't really you may some of you maybe have emailed with her before she does help with um some customer relations stuff but she also helps so much with the podcast coordinating guests and making sure everything gets scheduled and published on time so that it gets into your earbuds and that you can listen uh so thank you so much for everyone behind the scenes who helps mark and tara you guys are amazing and again thank you to you for listening if you enjoy the sfd podcast a write-up and review on itunes apple Podcasts is so 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 helpful it is one of the best things you can do to support the show again you can link directly to that by scrolling down in the show notes Um, or if you're already listening on itunes just scroll down and click write a review it really does help so i will stop blabbering if this is in a timely manner and you're hearing this the week of christmas and you celebrate i hope you have a fantastic holiday and a happy new year And if you're listening to this somewhere dated in the future, I hope you have an awesome day and an awesome week. All right, you guys, thanks so much again for listening. And I'll talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast.